Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. So this weekend kind of sucked. Much like last week's recording, I just feel like we're, uh, you know, starting again on a note of uh, a lot of violence and awful, awful stuff happening. And obviously uh, yesterday there was some um, commemoration of an awful event. I'm referring, of course, to um, the police murder of Tyree Nichols in Memphis. And I'm angry and numb. How are you? God, yeah. I, I don't know if you saw this because I know uh, you don't watch the Twitter accounts of certain police forces as closely as I do. In Canada, I mean. I mean, I know that you're all over it in the States. <laughs> There was a coordinated effort to condemn the murder of Tyree Nichols by Canadian police forces. Specifically, I saw oh, I saw Halton, it. yeah, Peel, and Ottawa, and and there may have been others, but those were the ones I just happened to see myself. And it felt, I mean, I like obviously cynical, like what the fuck, but it it also felt like very perverted, and. Of course, Canadian media did not report that they sent out this very f- fucked up uh, message. They were just like, oh, Canadian police forces are in solidarity with black people in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's like, what in the hell mm-hmm. was that? Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's, it's fucking infuriating. I, w- I was listening to um, some sort of news report out of the United States. I can't remember which one um, that I mean, it felt so frustrating to hear the the super super weak uh takes on on the news that uh just oh it just makes me just so angry about how the media just hasn't really been paying attention to any of the 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 um analysis that's been going on um well forever now but the really public uh analysis that i think you know has reached mass audiences i mean i'm listening to this radio program and uh the journalists are asking you know this is this is just so complicated because you know the the five policemen who were fired were black and it i mean do you think that this means that there's something wrong with with policing itself like that something happens with policing like as as soon as you put on the uniform like that it's it's not just about white cops like what the fuck <laughs> you know the i i can't remember if i've said this on the podcast or not already but the first time that you know they tried diversity as a way to solve the issues between uh particular communities of color and black communities in particular uh in canada was like in the late 1800s and there was a report that was written that was like hmm seems not to work <laughs> it's like in the 1800s and it is it's like at what point like i just i feel like as i've said before the the win is kind of inevitable because things like this will continue to happen people will continue to have their eyes open and you can't unknow what you know so we will make incremental steps towards the overall win which is the end of policing but it's just incredible how willful people are in not wanting to see the truth 
Mm. Okay, so two things to say to that. The first thing is that, you know, Sandy, before we hit record, we decided this week to talk about the federal government as the House of Commons comes back to work today as you are listening to this podcast. I feel like we should talk about policing instead. <laughs> and I'm into it. You know, I'm always down to talk about policing. <laughs> and and so let's maybe we'll leave at the end if there's some interesting comments to be made about the federal leaders and what to expect with this session in the House of Commons. Like, let's let's see where we end up at the end of this conversation. The second thing that I want to mention is, Sandy, the way you said about actually kind of worries me. Like, you sound like an American. No, really? Did that happen? Yeah, that happened. I'm going to have to listen to that carefully. That's uh, that's truly unfortunate, especially since I've just been spending the last few days in Vancouver. So maybe it's a Vancouver thing. Yeah, the Vancouver people did it to me. What? Although we don't want another podcast. <laughs> we don't want another podcast this week that Nora's on to be talking about Vancouver in any disparaging sort of way. No. So let's stay away from that topic. I, I certainly am not going to do an, an impression of, uh, of, of how folks talk in Vancouver, which... Um, there's a different inflection that people use in Vancouver uh, than in the rest of Canada. Um, though, no, what you what you said was distinctly American. OK, so this episode, we're going to talk about cops and policing and white supremacy and why even after two and a half, three years, three and a half years of this ongoing conversation about cops, that there still is a massive disconnect between decision makers and the population. But Sandy, we have some folks to thank. I love gratitude. Let's be gracious. Okay. So uh, first of all, um, if you're liking the daily news p- updates, I've had a couple of people ask how they can donate specifically to those. I mean, it's just, it's Sandy Norris. So just <laughs> thanks. You can donate to us. It's all good. It's the same thing. Um, and also uh, you're listening, you're listening, you're, you're engaged. We love it. So keep that up. Let us know what you're seeing in the news. Um, your support can also be expressed by giving us a heads up about different kinds of news. I know there's a lot of news happening in PEI uh, right now, so stay tuned. The podcast will hopefully cover some of that. But thank you so, so much to everybody this past week who's changed their donation or donated for the first time, especially Jesse, Sherry, Miranda, Karen, Caitlin, Les, Franny, Catherine, Cyril, Matthew, and Anne-Marie. Thank you so, so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, policing. You know what? I'm actually glad that we're talking about this uh, instead because you know what's been on my mind? The, this, All of this news, have you seen this news coming out of Toronto um, about like the increase of like everything being super, super violent in Toronto and how police, more police are needed everywhere? Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. I mentioned it on the Daily News last week and... And it's incredible how people are reacting like this is just shocking, like, oh, my God, society is disintegrating. I've seen a lot of people say that they're now nervous to be on the TTC, nervous to bring their children on the TTC. Of course, it's a transit system in Toronto uh, because of all these Mm -hmm. random acts of Mm -hmm. violence. Now, the first thing that I have been thinking of when I see those things is, one, it's budget time. It's like mighty convenient convenient <laughs> yes it all is of these acts of violence seem to be placed exactly at the time that would be the most beneficial for the police 
uh, to be having this public conversation about increased violence on both the TTC, which is a which is a service that we know that they want um, to have more special constables on, uh, and just generally out in the world. So that's like mightily convincing. And then I think to myself, hmm, Nora, how do journalists get information on crime? Oh, yeah, they get it from the police. Fascinating. So I'm wondering, like, has anyone put this together? Like, has anyone actually done um, some research to see if there is actually increasing crime? Are the police the only ones that we're talking to about this? And if there is, are we talking to any other experts beyond police? Because I see police referenced in every single article. And I see in some of the articles, some people from city council who, you know, should definitely be talked to. But there are also other people that need to be talked to with respect to these particular types of situations, especially if you're getting the information only and directly from the police. For most crime information that is published in mass media, that information is coming from the police and they are not a reliable source, especially during a political fight that has to do with them getting more budgetary resources. They're not a reliable source. It like if if we are going to be able to trust the news that is coming, we need to uh, to know that they are looking at other sources, uh, both in terms of expertise to learn why in this pandemic time, in this inflationary time. Uh, violence might be on the rise. We may want to make sure that those journalists are comparing numbers that they see today to numbers that were um, published last year, pre-pandemic, um, at other times that are similar points of uh, of, of poverty or economic uh, issues in our society. We might also want to be talking to to people um, uh, to to find out what the actual allegations are and treating them as though they are allegations um, and not like we have the whole story and know that people are guilty because that's not how our system is supposed to work. We, we don't have full context over any of these issues that we just keep getting this information from, from the police at this mighty convenient time. Yeah, I had the same thought when I heard that one of the attacks was uh, someone with a syringe poking people, which is like, very much urban legend territory, right? It's very much like, I don't know if you know this urban legend, but I'm sure some listeners know this. Like my friend knew someone who found a suitcase on the subway and there was a dog inside of it. Very classic urban legend, actually. Um, if you've ever had a friend tell you that story, it's not true. It's an urban legend. Poking people with a syringe is like both a drug scare panic and a society in decline scare panic. And may maybe it happened. Maybe it happened. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see any follow up. But I think that you're right to identify that there needs to be some sort of external investigation, evaluation, uh, criticism, con confirmation, whatever of these reports, because on one hand, uh, yeah, like we need to challenge the police. 
On the other hand, Toronto, especially, and all, all across Canada, but, but Toronto especially, it's a city in decline, in massive decline. The tax base is not high enough. The people with money are not paying enough money into the collective purse of the city. There's a mayor who's a piece of shit and has been under the radar as a piece of shit, I think, for far too long. I think a lot of people have given him the benefit of the doubt. Of course, not activists, of course, mm-hmm. not left-wing people, but by and large, people have given John Tory the benefit of the doubt. And he's just a rich motherfucker ghoul like all of the rest of the fucking people in his in his entourage. And we're and, and, and so the combination between a city that uh, criminalizes, harasses, bulldozes people out of public spaces, uh, that does nothing to, to stop uh, runaway rents, does nothing to house people, to, to give people options that are not just rotating doors of shelters or inadequate hotel rooms or whatever, or, or promising hotel rooms and not delivering. All this stuff happens. You're going to see a rise in crime. You're going to see a rise in people who are not doing well acting out against a system that is harming them. That's that's what happens. So, okay, on one side, we don't actually have those confirmations, this critical coverage to know what the cops are talking about. And on the other side, we have a city council and a province that is creating the conditions for these acute acts of random violence to increase. So, you look back and say, well, what, what, what then, what then can be done? What can be done? And the answer is, uh, summed up by a photo. I think they found probably the smallest police officer to pose with the largest gun to, I don't know, make a point, uh, semi-automatic rifles on the TTC. Did you see that? Yes. I remember in 2016, uh, doing this very strange interview with Rosie Barton on power and politics about like uh, Beyonce doing the Super Bowl that year, wearing um, uh, like a Michael Jackson homage. And uh, the CBC was like so seriously concerned about the fact that um, this was like a black power statement or something. It was the most bizarre interview ever. And I remember trying to inject <laughs> it a, into the interview. It, it was one of your finest moments though as well. Oh, thank you. Yes. I, I treated the, the interview with the seriousness that it deserved. <laughs> um, but in the interview, I was trying to inject this discussion of like, hello, uh, the police are getting uh, uh, semi-automatic uh, rifles like we should be talking about this not fucking Beyonce and now we see them starting to roll out like I don't think that the public discussion at that time about outfitting the cops in that way was so ridiculous it was like criminals have guns cops need guns too it's like okay cops already have guns Do, are we aware of what we're talking about but seeing the photo the stark photo of having like this this semi-automatic rifle in the TTC on these police officers, which is going to do nothing to solve any of these problems. It's just like, it feels like almost comically absurd. If it wasn't so dangerous, it would be comically absurd that that's something that we would do. It's like, again, you know, every fucking year, the police get more and more money across the country, okay? And all of these social issues are either not being solved or they're getting worse. And it's like, okay, can we, at what point do we say, "Mm, that's maybe not the solution? We have tons and tons of academic research that tells us 
that violence is not solved as a social issue by police being around. They're not going to prevent it. And if that's what we're really concerned about, and if it means that much to us, we need to take a different approach uh, to, to this issue. And another policing issue that uh, is something that I've been thinking about is uh, the, the decriminalization of uh, some drugs in, in British Columbia. Um, you know, when advocates were fighting for the, uh, the decriminalization, they had a certain amount in mind. I believe it was uh, 4.5 grams, the possession of a, of a certain amount, which, um, you know, some advocates said was, was too small. Um, and the federal government, when they, when they approved this pilot program that's going on in British Columbia right now, uh, they actually reduced the amount that advocates had asked for to 2.5 grams, so even smaller. And when asked why, they said it was because <laughs> because they had consulted with police agencies, and that was <laughs> right. the recommendation that came back. Why the fuck are they consulting with the police on this? What would the police know about this at all? Why are they assumed to be experts on any social problem whatsoever? There is nothing that they are experts on except for responding to violence with violence. (laughs) That's it. And I don't even know that they're experts on that because they fuck it up (laughs) quite a bit. They just do it a lot. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, seeing people, I don't know, trying to wrap their heads around how it could be that a police officer on a bus isn't going to make the bus safer. It it doesn't take too much conversation to be like, okay, so let's say there's a cop on the bus and someone punches someone in the head, which, by the way, could happen, does maybe sometimes happen that people hit each other randomly in society. Fine. Someone gets punched in the head. What the hell is the cop going to do? reverse time, unpunch the guy in the head. He's not going to do anything else that anyone on the bus wouldn't do in that moment, right? People jump in, people restrain the person, they separate the two. And then what? Well, then they might hold them. Then they might call the police. Maybe there's going to be charges pressed. The cop's not stopping fuck all, like nothing. The cop will be there Oh, the guy gets charged faster or worse. um, There's preemptive violence. There's preemptive um, movements to to make sure that someone who looks sketchy, who might be erratic, who might uh, set the the police officers racism off in a certain way. And all of a sudden you got incidences that you didn't have before. You know, like I was I was it was that, you know, as you start off the the show, I was um, you said that I was at the the vigil last night in, in, in Quebec City. Just after Justin Trudeau spoke, there was someone in the audience who stood up, uh, was trying to ask a question, and it was very disruptive because no one was speaking. Of course, in the crowd, there was obviously no questions. It's a ceremony of vigil. And um, I saw the, the RCMP, because of course there's police all over the place for many reasons, including like there is a shooting in that mosque, right? So we have police on site for these events. And they started moving closer to the guy. And I, I ran from where I was on the other side of the stage. And I, and I kind of jumped into the crowd because he was quite close to the front. And I just talked to him. And I just talked to him. And, and he wanted to be heard. He wanted to be heard. He wanted to let p- me know what was going on in his, his mind, which was alarming. And, you know, what you would consider to be not 
not normal. Like he was he was seeing stuff and he was hearing things and he wanted to tell the prime minister what he was seeing and hearing. But he was also like, you know, lucid. And I said, like, we can't talk right here. You know, no one else is talking. Let's go to the back. We'll talk at the back. And he comes with me and we talk. You know, like you, you don't, no one needs to, to, to hassle the guy, tackle the guy, put him in a headlock, drag him outside of the room. It, it didn't take it didn't take a muscled response. It certainly didn't take anybody wearing a bulletproof vest and having a gun concealed on him to intervene in something like this. And so, like, on one hand, there's the first response um, instinct with which I think that, you know, we we as a society should have tools, free education tools to allow people to intervene with other people who are in crisis so that we know what to do in the exact same way that you would know what to do if you came across someone who is in cardiac arrest. Uh, or or maybe you don't. You should find out. <laughs> you should take we should have free classes on, on, on first response, both for mental illness and for physical illness. And it also just shows so, so quickly how little you really do need of that police presence. I mean, my goodness, there was a lot of concern about what happens if someone walks into the place who is there to cause trouble. And it's like we have activists at the door who are having a conversation with every single person that enters the place. Like we know how to deal with people. And of course, nothing happened. Right. So but it was like just this really good direct reminder with me after I'd spent three weeks of, of, of negotiating and, and working with the police to get this event to happen, that it was like we protect ourselves. We protect ourselves. Anybody that does frontline work knows this. Anybody that dealt, deals with people who might be in crisis more often than the than the average population knows this. And so the process of understanding the role of police in society tends to then focus uh, on those populations, let's say white populations, especially white populations that have money, some level of money that are uh, that are physically and mentally well. That It's that population that thinks that the police are there for them. It's that population that thinks that the police does something, even if they've never, especially if they've never had contact with them. And so it is really interesting to see this play out because, of course, those are the kind of people that tend to be on city councils. <laughs> those are the people that... I mean, might also be in executive uh, roles within the unions, because I know that there have been some unions that have not responded very well to this because they see threats against their, their workers as being something that can only be fixed by cops. And like the problem, I think, is that we we collectively not not us, <laughs> maybe not you, but I think we think that there needs to be a breaking point for things to get better in society, that if we only reach the breaking point, then we'll then things will get better. And it's like, that is not how it works. This is where you need to organize around security forces within your communities and calling out the hypocrisy and identifying where things are fucked up. Like just today, the, 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 the SIU in Ontario uh, puts out a release saying that they shot someone in Milton, Ontario. And the way that they explained shooting this individual well, first of all, they arrive for a mental uh, for a mental health call that they're going to that they're going to take this person into custody under the Mental Health Act. They used a quote unquote less lethal shotgun, which is like the word lethal means life and death. Right. So there's no less life. You're dead or you're alive. Do you mean a shotgun that is less likely to kill someone unless you shoot them in the eye or shoot them in the head or shoot them in the side of the head or the chest? I don't know. But they shot this individual and they're like, oh, less lethal shotgun was discharged. This individual is in the hospital now. Like, it's just such bullshit. There's so much bullshit to cut through here. And what is so frustrating to me is that the bullshit is like very easy to cut through. It's very thin bullshit. Like, you don't even need to have good scissors to do it. You need a, a pair of kid scissors can do it. But it is very hard for us to find those kid scissors because those platforms that allow anybody to say these things tend to shut, the, shut people out systematically. God, that's frustrating. 
<laughs> I mean, the SIU itself shouldn't even be using the language less lethal, you know? Like, this is, this is like, that, this is propaganda words. These are propaganda words. These, <laughs> these weapons kill people, okay? It, it's not, there, there is no such thing as a less lethal weapon. It's either lethal or it's like, is a knife le- less le- lethal? <laughs> Do we call knives less lethal? Do we? Do we? I, I, like the, they it's might. Just, Cops might. No, <laughs> not when they're being threatened with one. Oh no! Sorry, they don't even they don't even call scissors or fucking lighters or cell phones that um, might be looking like a gun as a less lethal phone. It's it's oh gosh, it's it's really really awful. Now I uh, did not watch the hour of video that there is of uh, what of the murder of Tyree Nichols. Um, but for for what I have read in its description, it I mean, it this is the beating to death of someone you have to. I mean, that is unimaginably committed for, that these people had a commitment to murder this person who is crying out for his mother. It's absolutely horrific. And <laughs> I mean, I've seen some reports um, and even, you know, the family lawyer has said y- y- what has happened in the aftermath is like exactly what should happen. These police officers should have been fired and so on and so on. But it's just like, no, we shouldn't be here at the fuck all. We shouldn't be here at the fuck all. In fact, what should be happening now is not not um, like what is happening, which is, you know, like these people being fired and then some discussions now about um, some additional police reforms, which uh, it, it seems like in this particular cultural moment, we're going to be focusing on traffic stops uh, and traffic stops by unmarked vehicles, because what we've been doing over the past few decades is like taking a look at the very specific situation and being like, hmm, what was wrong with this particular situation? Why these police officers didn't know that they shouldn't have murdered this person? Oh, okay. They were driving an unmarked vehicle when they did a traffic stop. So maybe we should have some rules about traffic stops and unmarked vehicles. It's like, (laughs) no. Okay. The, The entire system and the entire way that policing operates is meant for police to operate with members of the public as though they are on opposite sides of some sort of war. They will always use violence against the public. They will always go to violence first. And this sort of thing, this sort of thing happening, it doesn't happen out of nowhere. It is part of a culture. These five police officers, I... They have likely been trained in some way that allows for this, that makes them think that this sort of interaction not only makes sense, but is normal. Um, And not just their squad, which I understand has been um, disbanded, uh, their special unit or whatever, not just their unit, but 
likely the entire force that is interacting with the public on the ground is having the same sort of training. I mean, we have this information that, you know, police have been subject to this sort of warrior style uh, training uh, from particular educational institutions that exist to train police all over North America and beyond. Like we, we know this stuff, but for whatever reason, we are highly resistant to taking the necessary steps and having these conversations on a systemic level, on an institutional level. Because, as you say, Nora, the people who are interacting with the police the least are the ones who are making the decisions. And those people have a fantasy belief about the police or they are refusing to look at the information that is right there available to them. The police don't do anything. By and large, they don't do anything to uh, support the safety of anyone who is not uh, a super wealthy uh, whatever. Okay, that that is the the vast majority of society. They're not there to support you. They are not there to support you. What they do do quite actively is go after poor communities, go after disabled people in particular. They go after black people and indigenous people in particular and other marginalized communities to terrorize them. They make us unsafe. And at some point, we're going to be forced to have that discussion. And I just cannot imagine um, wanting to continue to be on the side of the discussion that John Tory, that um, all of the politicians in fucking B.C. right now are on. Like, who wants to be the person who is co-signing this murderous yeah. apparatus? Yeah. And, you know, what, what is just so uh, also indicting of the moment that we're in and the way that the media cycle works. I mean, we were barely past the, the cycle of conversation related to the murder of Keenan Anderson, who was another black man murdered by police. He was murdered mm-hmm. in L.A., uh, after a car, a, a car accident, had a panic attack, and the police tasered him to death, talking about less lethal fucking weapons right there, right? It's, it, you know, there's, and, and because of the depravity and the publicity around the murder of Tyree Nichols, I, it's just so easy for the cameras to just then swoop right right away. Oh, we've got something even worse. And of course, it, it's it's useful to the narrative that the police officers were black to to hide the whole conversation around racism because, you know, it takes fucking two minutes of thinking instead of one minute of thinking to actually understand that it is a racist institution and it does not matter what the race of the people in the institution is. It's a racist institution. That's what it is. That's how it was built. And so... Like just seeing how quickly uh, event moves from event to event is a good reminder that there's also no incentive for police to stop this behavior because it becomes in a, another distraction from another issue. And you just bounce from issue to issue. And the next time something else happens, it's the next distraction. And sure, maybe some police officers will lose their jobs, maybe. But it doesn't matter because then it becomes another way to distract from the issue because then we're on another police force and another jurisdiction and another set of of, of circumstances. And then, then, and then we can get into those details. This, this, it was, it's this squad. That's the problem. It's this city. That's the problem. It's the crime rate in that location. That's the problem. It isn't the overall system of policing. 
Now, this past week, there was a report that came out in Ontario that wasn't related to wasn't related to policing specifically, but was related to security forces uh, and, and and deaths uh, specifically in Ontario. The number of people who have died in remand in the last number of years. Sandy, did you see this? I did not know. So the report is called Tracking Injustice, and they found that there is a spike of deaths in, in, of people in remand. So people who are awaiting trial or awaiting bail, which accounts for, by the way, 76% of people in Ontario's prisons, and, and, and probably it's pretty similar all across Canada. And the spike is that 41 people died in the custody of Ontario prisons in 2021, which is more than double the number in 2020. And if you add all the deaths between 2010 and 2021, you hit 280 people who died in the custody of the state. What? Yeah. Yeah. What's happening? Was there any explanation in the report? Well, the report's quite long. I haven't read the whole thing. Um, and so I've read the CDC article. There's, you know, there's some specific suggestions that like some of the deaths were related to COVID, maybe, probably. I mean, we have official COVID death numbers from the prison system and it's 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 not 41, but OK. Uh, but one researcher suggests, of course, that there's that there's systemic issues, that there's a lack of health care. There's a lack of prisoner mm-hmm. rights, that mm-hmm. there's muscle responses from correctional officers that are leading to these deaths, that there's, you know, people are in psychological distress or they're mentally ill. And, and, and so that can impact someone's life, obviously, in prison, and that can lead someone to maybe self-harm or whatever. Um, but, you know, the fact is that, that these are locations that the state directly controls. And so correctional officers or police officers, like, they have they have access to legitimate lethal force. Like that is what they are able to do. And if they can justify their lethal force, then they do it with impunity. Like, so it doesn't matter if we're talking about Memphis or Los Angeles, Ontario. I mean, these things are all really connected because the history of policing and the the, the history of prisons in North America are very, very similar because we are settler states. Mm-hmm. We, we come out mm-hmm. of the same the same uh, origins. Right. And, 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 and I, I, I wish that I could I had the silver bullet, let's say the, the less lethal silver bullet to be able wow. to. Thank you. Uh, to to be able to to make these arguments to the people who fucking it, the arguments should click, like the Valerie Plants of the world, mayor of Montreal, who's you know a, prog- a progressive apparently, but has also funded the police higher than uh, the year before, the year before, the year before. Uh, you know, folks like uh, Jagmeet Singh in the NDP, um, certainly David Eby in the NDP in BC, uh, progressive councillors in other places across this country. Like, wh- what the fuck are you people waiting for? Like. What like I mean? Why don't you just why don't you just close up your party or stop calling yourself progressive and just go home? Like stop taking up space, because if you're going to leave all of this heavy lifting to activists who are under resourced, under resourced, underfunded, fucking struggling, working other jobs, like nothing's going to fucking change, and the blood is going to be on your hands too. Yeah, we're. I mean, gosh, there's so many people who are just waiting for like a real progressive option. <laughs> you know, on so many different things <laughs> yep. like this. I like I, I, I'm still stunned by how popular this uh, this critique has become like now more than ever before. You, you see uh, stories about the police and about policing and people are responding um, in the comments online, like in on the street in streeters 
it with with skepticism. You know, people are organizing uh, more than we've seen before deputations at decision uh, making times for uh, political bodies to to make um, decisions about the budgets and are and are saying that they don't want more money going to the police. And yet still like no, there's no real political party that has taken up this as their mantle and it's just so fucking confusing it's just like okay so it actually you know it's not about what's popular or what people want what is it about like what the fuck are you afraid of what are you afraid Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. I mean you started talking about history too and I think that one of the things that I would love to be a part of this conversation too that I don't think that people really understand is just how young the policing institution is like I I feel like some people think that you know there was a time when policing was good and now it's bad (laughs) and we need to get back to the time where it was good and it's like no it was like never good it was never ever good like modern policing has really only been around for maybe 150, arguably like 180 years. (laughs) That's about it. And it had a very tumultuous start. Like as late as the early 1900s, people were still like, fuck the cops. We don't believe this institution. It's just a bundle of gangs coming together, trying to uh, take away our booze or stop us from organizing a union or um, in Toronto, I've been reading a lot about this in Toronto, like stopping kids from playing with red balls on certain days of the week, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was a rule. It's just like, and people generally like in these, in the times of the early days of the police were like, police are bullshit. Like they knew that policing was bullshit, uh, because it was just such a, uh, an imposition of a, of an institution that was clearly, meant to disadvantage only certain types of people. Uh, one of the things that made policing like such a, um, such a, a like a professionalized institution as it is today is um, in the UK, there was this idea that uh, with all of the, the shipping that was happening with sugar and coffee and uh, whatever else was being shipped and enslaved people who were being shipped uh, to Britain from the Americas, it used to be the case that many of the people who were working to, to, to unload these ships, it was part of their, their working uh, relationship with their employers that they got to take a little bit of the coffee and they could take a little bit of uh of the sugar and that that could be a part of what their payment was at some point when Makes sense. when the when the wage was really uh imposed on society is the way that people got paid for things uh british society decided that they needed to crack down on this informal type of payment and that was one of the ways that policing became so institutionalized and you can imagine a society responding to that like what do you mean I can't take a little bit of this? I just like made it. I just did it. Like that was the thing that I helped produce. My boss said I could have it. What do you mean I can't have it? Why are you telling me that I can't have it? Who the fuck are you anyway? Where did you come from? What are you doing here? (laughs) That And that was really kind of the reaction that people had. And then, you know, into the 1900s and people are like literally organizing to try to 
get better working conditions to fight against this uh, this poverty that they are um, experiencing. And police are cracking heads and cracking down on people. Like, it was never a good institution. And th- those moments of uh, professionalization, uh, they happened so recently that there is no model to turn to to say that's the way we do it right. It has never been done right. It never will be done right because it is at its very inception meant to make people suffer. (laughs) That is the reason for policing to exist is to make sure that the wealthy can be as wealthy as possible, to make sure that the enslaved continue to be enslaved, to make sure that the working person stays in line. That is the purpose of policing. That is the reason, it's raison d'etre. It's the reason why you can hear all of these stories about corporations that are fucking us over by not paying their taxes, by breaking the law. And for some reason, our society hasn't really figured out a way to take those people, to arrest all of those people, to make sure that they all um, go to jail or whatever fucking punitive system we want to make sure happens to them. It happens so rarely because it's not meant to happen to them. Mm. It's like policing sucks okay and if it if it didn't if it was meant to keep us safe they would certainly be looking at the people who are exploiting the most of us rather than looking at people who are trying to get by and policing um, those of us uh, who are the most impoverished and the most marginalized yeah it's like you think that uh galen weston started like breaking the law with price fixing bread and fucking cops stormed into his office shouldn't they i mean like, god nora if i know you, like if you that. started stealing some bread or i mean not quite stealing you know what i mean yeah <laughs> you would go to jail yeah well there's still it was it was that it it was, well it's, it's interesting too because you know you, you while you're talking i was thinking about quebec's uh attempt to create an anti-corruption squad and this was like cops who were supposed to actually do that go into uh, corporations uh, corporations like snc lavalin or engineering firms or consulting firms they (laughs) they fucking arrested you know the former premier jean charret they arrested uh natalie normando um like it's pretty it was it was actually like oh wow the cops have fucking stormed this office and actually arrested everyone for corruption it's not working I haven't heard that the UPAC has been doing anything and uh, it's been plagued with scandal. It's been plagued with, I'm sure internally they're all fighting because it's like, oh no, you actually can't do that to those folks because corruption is like really important part of the system. (laughs) So um, you just gave me a thought to go to look into what the fuck the UPAC has been up to because I haven't heard UPAC news in literally since the pandemic has started. So anyway, when you do um, look that up, let us know how many times they barge into one of these offices with like a no knock warrant and like with their guns blazing and who dies every single time they, you know, crack down on some corruption. Let us know. Yeah, I, I, there's certainly been no deaths, but I, I do know that they have actually barged into people's offices and just start taking documents. I mean, that's kind of sweet. With their guns drawn? <laughs> I don't know how they did it. I don't know. I will look that up because... Um, willing to bet not, Nora. Willing to bet I, not. <laughs> but I'm, I'm also I'm sure willing right. to be surprised. 
it's Quebec, man. Like sometimes things here is uh, can be a bit upside down. Uh, but I'll, I'll look I'll look that up and I'll report back. But while you were talking about um, like, is there any uh, history historical point where we can point to policing being good and say that that's what we want? There certainly is like some modern uh, manifestations of the version of why the fuck are you arresting me for taking this sugar that I just loaded and and seeing all the people in the subway in Toronto, which is public. It's a public location who are being marched off the subway for looking like or for maybe panhandling for sleeping for being like why when was it illegal to sleep somewhere like really like how can it be illegal to sleep in a public spot? What does that do? What is, you are literally sleeping. Who are you bothering? Actually, like some people can sit somewhere else. There's no like, what the fuck is that? It, th- that there's a much closer connection to that. And people uh, uh, having their heads cracked for, for skimming off the sugar that they just loaded or the coffee that they just loaded onto a boat than, than any historical example of the fucking cops doing anything useful. And so, you know, I guess like we 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 always end up at the same point, which is like the organizing, the organizing. You know, I want to shout out, you know, Winnipeg Police Cause Harm, an amazing group out in Winnipeg that pays really close attention to the Winnipeg police. Lots of great activism happening in Toronto as well, of course. And uh, and if you are in Toronto, like pay attention, see who's doing the deputations, attend the rallies, follow online to see how you can get involved. But that that's our only hope is 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 grassroots action, because no one's going to come to save us from this force, these forces that are there to make sure that we, we're not saved. <laughs> so in closing, I know many of us are probably feeling quite similarly to me, uh, uh, numb, angry, like just beside myself, with just like impatience and frustration and sadness and disgust. Um, again, I say that, you know, we're with you. Um, in those feelings. And I certainly, um, as much as I can, I'm going to be putting a lot of those feelings where I often do, which is into my organizing work. And so um, if that's something that you can do, um, I hope that you're able to do that. And if not, I at least hope um, that those of you who are who are still reeling from this have uh, access to good people around you uh, with whom you can... Um, commiserate in these these awful fucking moments and i know we promised a discussion about federal politics uh the, look the, this is what i'll say i think it is very interesting that we're starting a new session where you've got two political parties that are different political parties that are tied together in their support for one another through the sucking and blowing agreement whatever that's called the liberals and the NDP. There were two uh, requests before today for emergency debates. One was Jagmeet Singh to have an emergency debate on privatization of healthcare. What is interesting about that is I don't see that this can go very far if the threat of election isn't hanging over the liberals' heads. And so it will be interesting to see how Singh tries to navigate the fact that there is no election. They have their agreement. There's no way the liberals are not going to uphold their side of the agreement in some slimy kind of way to be able to say, well, you can't go to the election now. You have this agreement. So pay attention to this. Uh, I don't imagine that the NDP will have much of a role to play because they have managed to marginalize themselves with this agreement with the Liberals. So uh, good work. But what is also interesting is there's a second debate that was requested and denied today by the Conservatives. Sandy, considering the topic of this podcast, I'm putting you on the spot. What do you think the demand was, the request from Melissa Lantzman, who's an MP from Toronto? 
I don't know. Something about policing? <laughs> Can, yeah, yeah. Considering the topic we were talking about, she wants to have an emergency debate on violent crime, especially related to the Toronto Transit Commission. Oh, my God. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. It was denied. It was denied. It's not happening. But the, uh, the, the juicing of the narrative machine marches forward. Yeah, fuck all of this cop propaganda, man. 